From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, Iran's Revolutionary Guard announced earlier today that it successfully launched a military satellite into orbit, which experts say, if true, advances Iran's ballistic missile program. Meanwhile, at sea, President Trump has said he has given the Navy instructions to shoot and destroy any and all Iranian gunboats that harass U.S. naval vessels. We'll get more from Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin later here on Washington Watch. And how will the coronavirus and China's ongoing deception reset U.S.-China relations? Tennessee Congressman Mark Green is here on that story in just a moment. And need another reason to support the ending of U.S. funding to the World Health Organization? Uh, remember, they were uh, China's accomplice in keeping vital information about the coronavirus from the rest of the world. Well, Meg King- Kilgannon, FRC's Education Research Associate, is here with at least two more reasons to defund them. Also, church bells will soon be ringing again in Texas. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is here on Washington Watch to explain. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T Perkins. And let me remind you to uh, get the new Stand Firm app. If you'd like to check it out, go to the App Store and download the Stand Firm app. After seeing China threaten to withhold medical supplies from America in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak, it forced the question of why is American industry in China? Well, Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee, an emergency room doctor, is calling on Congress to cover 100% of the moving cost of American companies to come back to the states using tariff funds. We're also going to talk about President Trump's plan to reopen the economy. Joining me now to talk about all this and more is Representative Mark Green who represents the 7th Congressional District of the Volunteer State. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony, for having me on. Always enjoy it. Well, Dr. Green, let me ask you this question. Uh, you and I early on talked about the the threat from the coronavirus and uh, you know how we needed to protect ourselves personally against this. But now this is we're a couple months removed from that discussion, and we see how China has responded to this. And you've put out a very public call. In fact, you've introduced uh, legislation to bring American industry back and to pay the price tag for that using the tariffs. Uh, that uh, are generated in our economic transactions with China. Tell us more about it. Yeah, thanks for uh, for asking about that. The the goal with this legislation is to expense those companies, you know, allow them to expense 100% of the move over uh, on their tax returns as a means of helping to get them back. Um, you know, the problem is, particularly as it relates to some of these more sensitive things like PPE and uh, our pharmaceutical supply chain, the, the precursors for a lot of our medications right now are exclusive to China, and that's unacceptable. We've realized here that th- these things are really almost a national security issue. Um, so I, I think uh, it, what my intention is is to motivate those uh, companies to, and, and of, of course, help them with the expenses to come back to the United States. You know, our conflict with China as it arises is this, um, effort to become the global uh, hegemon, I, I think pretty clear the economic uh, conflict has been going on for some time. 
and they took our manufacturing, so we, we need to take that back. Well, in particular, what has made this such uh, an acute problem is that it was some some of the materials, medicines that were essential in responding to the coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think of the PPE that was donated to them by Italy, and then when Italy needed it, China charged them for it. I mean, that type of mercantilism hasn't been seen in, I mean, a really long time. And it's pretty obnoxious. We have companies that are American companies that are manufacturing in China, and they won't let them ship the PPE back to the United States. That that's unacceptable, and we have to we have to get those businesses back in in America, and, and hopefully some in Tennessee. So, well, when we look at the, the relationship that many businesses have had with China, I mean, China also has a deplorable human rights record. Uh, you know, yeah. we've talked about the Uyghur Muslims and how there's now evidence to suggest that they're being used as forced labor in some of these factories that are actually providing goods to some of these American companies. So uh, this is the first time, and I know this is there's, this has been ongoing discussion, but I think we've reached a critical point that could, I think, from all that I'm hearing and seeing, uh, cause us to totally recalibrate our relationship with China. Do you think we're there? I do. I think we're there. And I think America is realizing that as you know, China rises, so to speak, and the world sort of shifts from being a unipolar world to a bipolar world, the real critical things are the strength of the American economy, our ability to protect power, and our alliances. And what China has done very aggressively with its Belt and Road Initiative is to go after our alliances. And so I, I think you know, are reaching out to countries like Vietnam and, of course, having great relationships with our friend Japan and, and South Korea. Uh, all of those things are um, really important to sort of balancing China as it grows. Um, a lot of things are happening. They're growing their military. They just last year switched from 20,000 Marines to 100,000 Marines in the, in the Chinese military. Um, their version of the Marine Corps. Um, there are bases in Djibouti very close to our U.S. military bases there, and uh, our pilots often talk about the, the Chinese using, you know, pen light lasers to disrupt our flights. And it's that kind of stuff that just, it's got to stop. The South China Sea, the islands in the South China Sea, um, a lot of reasons to, to be mindful, and I do believe the world is seeing all of these things. Uh, the coronavirus has really opened people's minds, and if you look at the media, even the New York Times is publishing stuff about this. I think you're absolutely uh, right. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, Congressman Mark Green, my guest. Uh, I, I definitely think you're right. I think this has brought it so close to home. I mean, is literally home as everyone is sequestered in their homes, that people are rethinking as the evidence comes forth of how China, uh, you know, basically slow walked and in case in some cases hid information from the rest of the world, and as a result, uh, you know, millions of people have gotten sick and uh, and died. So, from a standpoint of congressional action, which this would take, what, what type of reception, Congressman Green, are you getting from your colleagues on this concept? 
Well, it's uh, so far so good. Uh, you know that that it, we've been a, a part, so it's I, I haven't been able to have face to face meetings with folks, but as we talk by phone, the reception's very positive. Um, and, and there's some other stuff. I've got another bill that I'm going to drop tomorrow. That uh, you know, one of the things China's doing is it's during this economic uh, crisis, this global economic crisis, um, it, they're buying up countries. Some of the, I mean, companies. Some of those have U.S. national security interests. And so we've got to sort of confront that, and I've got some legislation coming out tomorrow on that, and I've gotten a lot of positive reception as I've talked to my colleagues about that bill, too. Let me transition for a minute. We've got a few minutes left, and I think there's going to be a lot of discussion, as there should be, about our relationship with China, and I'm hoping this causes a total recalibration of that relationship because they are not to be trusted. Uh, We've seen that. It's abundantly clear. Uh, and we've suffered many consequences from it, uh, health-related as well as our economy. The president now, last week, rolling out a way forward, a three-phase plan to restart the economy. People are eager. I think people are, are, are tired of some of these restrictive governments that are keeping people locked in their homes. Um, what, what do you see as the, the best way forward here in getting our economy going again? Well, I think very clearly we could do non-emergent medical in most places in the country right now, except for those hot spots. That would be probably step one. I know constituents, I have constituents that have had breast biopsies postponed three times. I mean, that's ridiculous. We, If you look at Tennessee, our ICU capacity is, is not even over half. And we've got the PPE, we've got the testing, so we should, in our state, uh, open up uh, non-emergent medical. Uh, that would be probably the first thing I would do, and then you know slowly advance uh, the other things. I know our governor has been leaning forward in that regard, uh, and I think April 30th we're we're opening back up, or May 1st we're opening back up. Um, but it, it needs to be regionalized where uh, where each locality is in its curve. And clearly that 14-day advice that the president gave out is good, sound advice. So if you're decreasing for 14 days and all of that stuff that was in his plan, I think we should follow that, but it should be dependent upon the, the location. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And that's I think that we talked about this yesterday on the program, how the president's approach to this has been – I would say unique. Uh, It's based on the federalism that the United States is built around, but it's been neglected in modern time where he has actually allowed the local governments, the the state governments, to craft their own responses to this based on federal guidance and federal resources. So it's it's kind of refreshing. I think they're they're reopening, they're pushing it as the, the same way, states to take their, um, you know, the, the best approach that they feel uh, is best for their states. Although I would provide this one caveat that I've communicated actually to the president and uh, to, to his administration. There are some governors that have used this opportunity to, uh, I think, overly seize control, uh, which is in the nature of many within the Democratic Party. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you take some of the the horrific comments from folks like AOC about hoping that the oil and gas industry never gets going again. I mean, that, that those are just terrible things to say. We're talking about one of our best sectors of our economy that employs and feeds many families. Um, and, and just that direct attack on industry 
that's that's who they are. I mean, they didn't care about delaying the 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 many different programs as a part of the CARES Act, getting to people. There were good things in that bill. Um, they certainly didn't care blocking refilling the PPP program. Um, but it, for them, it's about their special interest, and for that, they're doing that to be empowered. Period. Yeah. That's who they are. Well, um, I, there's a multitude of reasons why we need the oil and gas to come back, not only to jobs, but to the president. Under his policies, we've seen uh, energy independence, which has been a national security issue. And I know as a, a, a combat veteran yourself, you understand the significance of that issue. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, Congressman Mark Green, as always, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great to talk with you and uh, glad you're doing well. Thanks, Tony. Have a great day. Be safe. All right. Find out more, go to the website, uh, Tony Perkins. Uh, Dr. Green has a lot of good ideas, and I absolutely do think we've got to um, look at this relationship with China. This is something that's for 20 years, as we gave them permanent most favored nation status in our trade, we have turned a blind eye to their abuse um, from a standpoint of human rights, religious freedom. Now that we've pretty much the entire world has been the recipient of their indifference to humankind, it's time to rethink that relationship. All right, coming up next, Iran says it launched its first military satellite, which could bring it one step closer in fulfilling its ballistic missile program. General Jerry Boykin is here next. Don't go away. Is historic masculinity lost forever? Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in a culture of gender confusion? We need men to be men, tough with compassionate strength, bent toward justice without compromise, locking arms and standing. We need to be the men God created us to be and fight for all that is right, true, and just. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference. To find out more, go to StandCourageous.com. This conference is led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will invest in you, helping you understand your role as a defender, a provider, an instructor, a battle buddy, and a chaplain so that you can have the generational influence that God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. 
In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. We can all benefit. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right, President Trump uh, in a tweet this morning said, I have instructed the United States Navy to shoot down and destroy any and all Iranian gunboats if they harass our ships at sea. That also comes in the wake of Iran launching a satellite into orbit, military satellite, be their first, which would make... Uh, bring them one step closer to a ballistic missile program. Joining me now to talk more about this is FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, retired from the United States Army. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, thank you, Tony. Let me uh, l- let me take the the, the the military satellite first. Their successful, so-called successful launch has not been uh, confirmed, but um, how significant uh, is that? Well, I think it's very significant if, in fact, it was successful. Uh, and there is uh, there are reports out that uh, there has been no indication of a of a uh, test like that, that that had been seen by U.S. intelligence. But if it was successful, uh, it is very significant because what that means is if they match up a nuclear warhead with uh, one of these intercontinental ballistic missiles or a missile that could go into, you know, the out, uh, outer space, for that matter. It means it's within range of the United States or any other place in the world, which gives them uh, a capability that they've never had and one that they have sought for a long, for a long time. What, I mean, is there any other reason for them to uh, put this satellite into space other than to facilitate uh, the advancement of their uh, arsenal? Well, I don't think so, but of course they could they could uh, claim that they're putting up uh, communication satellites or or whatever the case may be, but they didn't say that. So I think it's consistent with the pattern uh, over the last three or four years of the missile test that uh, we have seen them doing, even when uh, the JCPOA was still in intact and and America was still part of that before Trump pulled us out of it. Uh, I don't think there's any question that what this is about is developing a missile delivery capability that ultimately could be matched with a warhead uh, and a nuclear warhead. Let me ask you this question, General. Uh, to the best of your knowledge, do, do you know did this catch uh, U.S. intelligence officials off guard, or were they anticipating this? Well, it's hard to say because we don't know what the intelligence community knows, but. Uh, I would I would suspect that between the human intelligence that we have now in Iran, which I think is improving quite a bit because of the dissatisfaction and unrest within Iran, uh, and our uh, our other capabilities that fall into the category of signals intelligence as well as uh, measurements and signatures intelligence. I would say that we probably had a pretty good idea that they were about to test something. 
you know, we we see a lot from uh, outer space, uh, and especially when there's going to be a, a test. We've seen most of what uh, Kim Jong Un has done just from from our satellites, uh, you know, that have uh, incredible capability. So, if this is true, um, let's talk about on the on the list of concerns that we have. And obviously, as a country, we have a lot of concerns right now. But does this rise to the level uh, to to the top level of concerns that we have in our in terms of national security? Well, I, first of all, not until it's confirmed that they actually tested this thing and it was successful. I'm skeptical because uh, I, I don't think that the uh, the administration or uh, the intelligence community would have said they see no indications of a test if it were not true. But yes, if they have that kind of capability, uh, we're not we're not where we would be with uh, you know the Soviets or or the Chinese. But uh, that means that we're one step closer to having a, a major national security concern there because it does put them and their nuclear program within range of the United States and our allies in Israel and any other place in the world. Uh, General Boykin, let me transition to another issue related to Iran. They have been uh, harassing mm-hmm. our naval vessels that have been operating um, out in international waters. And the president today uh, tweeted that he has given instructions to the United States Navy to to destroy any and all Iranian gunboats that harass our ships at sea. Big difference from what we've seen in the past in terms of what our how our Navy has responded to Iran. Yeah, that's right. They've been doing this for a long time. So this harassment of our ships out in the Persian Gulf or in the Straits of Hormuz specifically. Uh, has been going on for a long time. Now they, you know, they haven't done it in a while, in several months. But uh, the rules of engagement previously have called for them to be a clearly identifiable threat, meaning basically that if they fire at you or you get a strong indication that they are going to fire at you, then you can take them out. Well, that all just changed. In 2000, uh, on the October the 20th. The crew of the USS Cole uh, in the port of Aden sat there and watched a boat come straight at them, and that boat never fired at them. But when that boat hit them, uh, they had uh, an enormous explosion from the uh, explosives that were inside that boat. Every one of those boats out there in the Straits of Hormuz that is harassing an American ship is a threat. And long ago, we should have started taking them out. Now, some will say, well, they're just trying to provoke us to do that, and we ought to give them what they want. Because right now, what America needs to do is show that even with all the chaos that's going on in this country, we're still focused on national security. And uh, I believe that uh, this is a good decision by our president. I bet you'd only take uh, one of those boats to be blown out of the water for them to stop the harassment. Yeah, and we may see that soon. All right. Uh, General Jerry Boykin, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. All right. Again, the, the president pulling no punches. America first. You know, I think it'll put an end to that. All right, coming up. The World Health Organization, the president is putting all funding on hold 
pending an investigation by his administration into their, well, covering for China and slow-walking information. But there's more behind the WHO. Meg Kilgannon is here next with that. Don't go away. to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T. Perkins. President Trump is halting U.S. funding of the World Health Organization, the WHO, until his administration investigates their role in facilitating China withholding critical information about the coronavirus from the rest of the world. But there are more reasons to end taxpayer funding of the WHO. Joining me now to explain is FRC's Education Research Associate, Meg Kilgannon. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good afternoon, Tony. Thanks for having me back on. Well, Meg, it's, um, you know, a lot of these things go unnoticed until a spotlight is, uh, you know, shined upon an organization like the WHO. Uh, an arm of the United Nations. It's uh, one of the first organizations that the U.N. created back in the 40s. They have, uh, in recent years, become a big promoter of abortion, but they're also pushing and peddling uh, the sexualization of our children. I'm sad to say that that is true. uh, It's undeniable. And this has been their agenda for many years, unfortunately. It's really uh, an an incredible injustice to the American taxpayer that our money has been funding this kind of thing, because these are not the values that uh, reasonable people hold. We do not think that children should have sexual agency, for example. Um, uh, explain and, and that for just we, a moment. We, explain that to our listeners. This is a this the WHO has signed on to these ideas. Um, they're in league with the International Planned Parenthood Federation. But as you said, they have put forth that children should have agency in their own sexual practices and relationships. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that that children should should be encouraged to have sex with each other and perhaps even have sex with adults that that it ignores the natural latency that that a child has before puberty there's a sexual latency there we We are of course sexual beings we reproduce sexually right that's a biological fact, but there is built into the human person a natural latency of childhood where you are really mostly innocent of those kinds of, um, of, of impulses, right? And that is, is awakened at puberty as part of a natural process that was designed by God, right, to propagate the species, to, to propagate humans. But the, the idea of the World Health Organization and the International Planned Parenthood Fund and other international agencies that I could list a bunch of, of an alphabet soup of letters have this idea that children should be um, regarded as sexual beings, 
that children have a right to have sex, that people have a right to have sex regardless of, for example, their HIV status, that it's your right to have sex with anyone you want to have sex with and you don't have to explain to them that you have HIV if you're, in fact, HIV positive. I mean, this is just, this is completely contrary to the Christian worldview of human sexuality, obviously. But it is also an incredible hypocrisy of the left. The the woke progressive left loves to demonize colonialism as the imposition of a set of foreign values on indigenous peoples. But this is clearly the imposition of a foreign set of sexual values Uh, imposed on people all over the world who are still pretty much obeying the natural law in terms of human sexuality. This is, this is the agenda of these people is to undermine the family so that we can have, um, a, a more global government. Um, you know, undermining the family also undermines the nation state. And this is, this is their goal. And the World Health Organization under the banner of the U.N., goes forth around the world as an authority on health issues, including human sexuality. That's correct. That's correct. So one of the things that that, um, that they promote, of course, is the need for abortion on demand without apology. Um, and they will, they will want to give children lots of information about human sexuality, and they'll talk a lot about sexually transmitted infections. But the information is always incomplete. They will not tell um, young women, for example, that a, a disease like chlamydia, which is sexually transmitted, they'll say, oh, that's something that you can cure with an antibiotic, and there's no big deal and nothing to be ashamed of. And while that may be true, it's also true that chlamydia attacks the fallopian tubes and is one of the leading causes of infertility, if undiagnosed, for um, for for women in, uh, who are seeking to to have a family. So this is the kind of of, <laughs> of information that they that they you know that they fail to give to people real health information that has, you know, important life consequences for for people. And instead, they talk about children's sexual agency and um, your right to sexual pleasure and these kinds of things that really aren't as important, in my opinion. And they're doing it with children ages as young as five years old and obviously this is not being screened by parents before it's presented to the children in most cases oh no 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 but no parent would have be able to oversee this at all so you know that i'm very grateful to the president for stopping the funding of this organization because if other people want to pay for that that's fine but i don't think we want our taxpayers funding that kind of thing i would agree meg kilgannon thanks so much for uh, for joining us uh, folks, I may have more on this. Absolutely. I may have more on this a little bit later. But coming up next, uh, church bells will soon be ringing again in Texas. The Attorney General for Texas, Ken Paxton, is here next on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
Where can young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of real manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of gender confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will help you understand your role as a defender, provider, instructor, battle buddy, and chaplain so that you can have the generational influence God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. Recently, a bill called the Fairness for All Act was introduced to the House of Representatives. In response, FRC has a new resource, the Unfairness of the Fairness for All Act. This act attempts to find a compromise between the First Amendment's protection of religious freedom and the demands of the LGBT community. But, unfortunately, it is a poorly drafted bill that would negatively impact religious freedom, true equality, and the privacy and safety of women. Learn more at frc.org slash fairness for all. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. You're listening to Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. I'm so glad that you are with us on this Wednesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. On Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. Right, earlier in the week, we were talking about the, the states that have handled the coronavirus health issues and fundamental freedom issues the best. And at the top of the list, we were talking about the state of Texas, how they've threaded the needle in terms of you know, protecting health, but also respecting fundamental freedoms. Yesterday, the Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, along with Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, announced that churches are free to open again, operating under particular guidance. Joining me now to talk more about this is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, I do want to say uh, I commend you. Uh, you were early on in this in making sure that you addressed the fundamental freedom issue, this uh, fundamental freedom of religion, protecting that in the guidance that you gave to the local jurisdictions in Texas. And then yesterday providing more guidance saying it's churches as uh, the declining of hospitalizations and the COVID cases have have declined. Uh, Texas is ready for business again and churches included. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Obviously, you know, this is a First Amendment right. The founders can consider it very important that people have the, the right and the ability to worship as they see fit. And we all know we had a, a crisis on our hands, and the government does have an interest in protecting the health and safety of our people and, and trying to you know, protect people from dying. So, you know, it was a tough challenge for us, but we tried to take into account, you know, 
different denominations and we talked to a lot of different pastors and, and, and we got their input and we tried to craft something that would still protect people, but also allow for the First Amendment right of assembling to worship. Well, and I think it's actually well done. I, I, I've read through it, and, and I, I would say that I think the approach that you are taking in Texas, you and the governor, is very similar to the approach the president has taken. He's given guidance, but he's allowed the states to craft their own policies. And I think what you're doing is you're giving the churches guidance, but you're allowing them to craft their own policies. You're treating them like adults. And if you want cooperation, that's the best way to do it. I think, you know, it's been a good relationship. I think they appreciate the opportunity to have some input and to, to help us kind of work through the, these hard issues that we've never faced before. And and I'm I'm really confident that these uh, these leaders, these spiritual leaders of our state will handle this well and, and balance because like, they don't want people in their churches and synagogues to, to die. They want to make sure that they're taking care of them both physically and spiritually. It's part of the, the messages of, of, of the Bible. So I... Uh, I'm not concerned that these people will handle this irresponsible in any way. So, uh, Attorney General Paxson, what uh, interaction have you had with other attorney generals as they look at this issue? Because, uh, quite frankly, as I was mentioning a moment ago, we were talking earlier in the week, kind of dissecting the different positions that uh, states have uh, taken. We've posted that actually on our, our website. We've done a kind of a deep dive on that. And, and you guys are at the top of the uh, the list, about half the states ha- have not even addressed the issue of churches and religious freedom in the midst of this crisis. You know, that's shocking to me, given it's such an important issue in our state. It's, you know, it's, it's something that we've talked about from day one, how are we going to handle this and how are we going to balance the, the First Amendment right with the, the ability to protect people from this, this virus and, and, and do it in the most responsible way. And um, so it's it's been a constant shifting of, of as the virus has changed and it affects different counties in different ways. And so as our as we've gone through this process, we've just had to reevaluate pretty much, you know, almost on a daily, at least weekly basis, trying to figure out how we're best going to take care of people. And as far as talking to other attorney generals, you know, normally we're in a lot more contact. But on, I think most of us are so busy with our own states trying to deal with running our offices remotely, but also trying to deal with all the challenges that we have with this issue. I think many of us have our hands full just focusing on our own states right now. Yeah, I I would t- tend to agree with that. It's, it's difficult running an operation remotely where you've got people spread out all over the place. I'm experiencing that my, myself, so it is a challenge. But I certainly would encourage other states to look at Texas as a model and how you have, as I said, threaded the needle between the health and safety of of the people of Texas and this fundamental freedom recognized not only by our Constitution but by the Texas Constitution as well. Yeah, I, and, I, you know, it's great having a governor that cares about those issues. He, he, you know, when he, we came out with the essential guidelines, when he came out with his, one of his very first orders, we he added he had the 16 that were in the from the federal government and he added churches as the 17th essential business he called it essential business and so from the very beginning he highlighted the importance of of churches and synagogues and places of worship as as essential to our state so attorney general before i let you go um i know we've got a lot of stations in texas and for those that may not have yet seen your guidance or read your press release what would you What's your message to the churches there in the state of Texas? 
Uh, I would encourage them to go on our website, texasoeg.gov.tx, uh, uh, and, and look at the guidelines. I think they'll really help. And then our office is open. You can call our office, and we'll, we'll help guide you through those guidelines if, if you feel like you, need, you have questions or, or just need a little help. I mean, you, you really do. This is the administration, you, the governor, see churches uh, not as uh, competitors but as partners in dealing with and responding to the issues in communities across the state. No, there's no doubt. And, and the pastor that I've been connected to and the, 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 the spiritual leaders that I've been connected to across our state, I mean, they are, they're, they're really important to, to leading us out of this really horrific uh, virus and, and the consequences that it has on, has on people's lives that are going to, some of them be very long lasting. So we need them. We need them to be engaged. We want them to continue to help people. And so we don't want to do anything to discourage that. Well, we appreciate that uh, greatly. Attorney General Ken Paxson of the Lone Star State, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for what you do. All right. Thank you. Uh, Texas really has done it well. And I would encourage other states to look at this. In the guy, in fact, you know, if you just want to look at it, you can pass it on to your elected officials. Um, they specifically highlighted the essential nature of churches and of the clergy, and that fundamental freedom. And I think that's absolutely important. Now, you've heard me from from day one since this whole thing kind of broke that I believe we should abide by the CDC guidelines. I I think we should work with government. And I I think what they have put forth is reasonable. I think we want to make sure that our congregations are not only safe, but our communities are safe. So we we don't want to do anything irresponsibly that would put anyone in harm. Now, that said, there have been some officials that have engaged in overreach, And there is a point in which I believe the states need to begin, just as Texas has, begin to open up the opportunity for churches to begin meeting in a responsible way. Here's some of the guidance that they provide, the state of Texas provides. This is all very reasonable. Encourage all attendees who are 65 and above to stay home and watch the services online or provide a senior service exclusively for attendees 65 and above to attend in person. Or, you know, do a drive, continue to do drive-in services. Uh, Ask all attendees who have an underlying at-risk health condition to stay home and watch the service online. Equip ushers and greeters with gloves and masks. Consider keeping child care closed unless the House of Worship can comply with CDC guidelines for child care facilities. And they provide a link to that. CDC has information on that. That's, it's a um, pretty high bar. Uh, so I, I would, it's good to have families together. Uh, they say ensure all attendees sanitize their hands and put on a mask before entering the building. Ensure attendees sit with their family units. Use social distancing between each unit. And if necessary, add more service times to facilitate distancing. Clergy should dismiss attendees by family unit, maintaining social distancing. Staff should sanitize seats and frequently touched surfaces between services. Consider refraining from passing collection plates. Instead, provide a central collection box in the building or encourage online giving. Consider how the sacraments can be administered without attendees having to touch the same surfaces and objects. All very reasonable. 
all very reasonable and doable. And so that's the model I think other states should begin pursuing. Those states that do not, I'm just going to tell you, based on the many, many conversations I'm having across the country and what I'm observing, is that they're going to have trouble because people are getting a little tired of some of these heavy-handed government officials that are restricting unnecessarily certain freedoms, and those in particular who are targeting religious freedom for different restrictions. Now, I I, want to provide a couple of quotes from Benjamin Franklin. You know, Benjamin Franklin... It was uh, the story was told. Uh, a lady named Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia, when Franklin emerged from the Constitutional Convention uh, of 1787, they were you know very, very strict secrecy. They were sequestered away, and citizens you know anxious to hear what was going to happen, and were gathered outside of Independence Hall, and when the proceedings ended. Uh, Franklin walked out. Mrs. Powell asked him, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? With no hesitation, Franklin responded, a republic, if you can keep it. I've made reference to the fact that our republic is not a, uh, it's not made for spectators. It's made for participants. You and I have to be a part of preserving this republic. That means we have responsibilities. We have responsibilities to care for our neighbors, meaning that our behavior needs to be such that it doesn't negatively impact the the health of others in this case. So we have a responsibility to our neighbors. That's biblical. It's also constitutional. But there are also limits to what government can do. And and I want to go to another quote from Benjamin Franklin, who once said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. There is a balance. Yes, the, the threat of this coronavirus is serious. We've seen it. Over 40,000 know, people have died from this in the United States. The numbers continue to rise and will continue, although they're leveling off. So it's real. But at some point, we have to come back, get our economy moving again, and enter into public life and social interaction. I'm not willing to indefinitely endanger essential liberty, such as religious freedom for a promise that the government's going to protect me from getting a virus. I'm going to take all the precautions I need to take, and I'm going to encourage everyone else to do the same. But I am not willing to give up essential freedom to move about, to have the freedom of speech, the freedom to assemble, and the freedom of religion. Now, again, I've been fully supportive of this temporary arrangement where we restrict our behavior for a period of time to allow our infrastructure in the medical community to, to number one, ramp up 
And number two, not be overwhelmed by the sickness. But we've, I think we've success, successfully done that. And I commend the president for what he has done. I think it's worked. We're not saying the 200,000 deaths from the coronavirus that many predicted at the outset. I think the, I think the president has been very successful. But now it's time to begin, and he is, at the national level with what he rolled out last week, the three-phased re-entry, essentially, into the economy. Well, I think the states need to follow suit. And I believe that by the 1st of May, uh, churches that have their own best practices in place should be able to start meeting again. And I think government officials would be wise to work with businesses and churches and others to restart in a reasonable, safe manner. But heavy-handedness and one-size-fits-all is not going to work any longer. And I'll, God only kept Moses on a mountain for 40 days. By the end of this month, it'll be 45 days. Time's up. It's time for people to come down off the mountain and out of sequestration in their own homes or out of, uh, out of isolation in their own homes and go back into the economy and back to work. And that includes, once again, filling the houses of worship in a safe, reasonable manner. So I do hope that many of our elected leaders will take a lead from those who are doing it right. And again, that would include the state of Texas, and it would include the president, again, who's taking a, uh, an approach, a federalist approach, a federalism, allowing states to make decisions. States need to allow churches and businesses to make decisions as well. All right, folks, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 